0: Amen. Thank you, Danielle. Well, before we start, I, I, I meant to say a word at prayer time, but I would covet your prayers this week. I have to go to Lubbock this afternoon and for the next three days for Board of Ordained Ministry meeting where we're interviewing candidates for ministry. And uh, it's a great meeting, but it's a long meeting for three days, especially for an introvert to sit and interview people all day long, uh, all day. So pray for us uh, this week as we... Uh, have decisions to make for possible candidates for ministry as well in the church. It is an exciting thing to get to interview these candidates. Some of them are friends of mine as well. So just be in prayer for that. Uh, but today, as we uh, continue this sermon series, Walking with Jesus, uh, we have been on this journey. And it is our hope, it is my hope, that all of us are <laughs> walking with Jesus. And we've been looking at the gospel of Luke and we've encouraged you to read Luke on your own outside of uh, Sunday mornings. And we've just been hitting some of the highlights, some different stories to kind of highlight the ministry of Jesus in Luke. But Luke is written truly like a a travel document. And, And so we are to journey with him. And the question is, will we really follow Jesus? Will we walk with him where he walks? Will we go where he goes? And so just as a reminder, the, the breakdown of Luke, uh, I want to put up here on the screen so you can see how Luke is written. And so it is kind of a, a geographical, it's going someplace. We have from Bethlehem to Nazareth is the first part of this uh, travel document in Luke. And then it talks about Jesus's ministry in Galilee for several chapters, from chapter three through chapter, the end of chapter nine. And then... Then we have this long section as Jesus journeys to Jerusalem, and then at the end of, uh, in the middle of chapter 19, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and we see that last week of his life, chapter 19 through chapter 24. And so as we've been journeying with Jesus, today we are in that third part, that uh, journey to Jerusalem, and we're, we're actually towards the end of it and for 10 chapters Jesus has been traveling to Jerusalem started all the way back in chapter 9 next week we will enter Jerusalem we'll enter Jerusalem with Jesus and begin that final week before the cross we'll ride in with him on the donkey as the crowds cheer him on palm sunday we're doing that next sunday And then the week after that, we will break bread with Jesus at the Passover. And then the Sunday before Easter, we will walk with Jesus through the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross. And then comes Easter. I don't know about you, but I love Easter. It's an incredible journey that we are on. So back to the story of today. We've all heard this story before. Uh, Our journey to Jerusalem is almost complete Jesus is almost there, but we have a couple of pit stops to make before we get there. So let me remind you where we've been as Jesus from chapter nine through 19, where he has been, what he has done on this journey to Jerusalem. Uh, He sent out his disciples to proclaim the coming of the kingdom. He taught in Samaria and in the homes of friends like Mary and Martha. He's healed many. He's confronted religious leaders who would want to stop his mission. He's taught his disciples how to pray the Lord's Prayer. We see that in this section. He's told many parables. He's warned the apostles three different times that his journey to Jerusalem would end in his death. And in those reminders, he has taught them the cost of discipleship. If discipleship doesn't cost anything, then does it have any value? And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost something. It's going to be costly, this walk that you're walking with me. And so now he's made it to Jericho. And Jericho is about 15 miles give or take, from Jerusalem. And the text says that he's just passing through, but we see quickly that Jesus knows something special is going to happen here. And what is about to happen is a a part of his purpose and mission on his journey to Jerusalem. Let's jump back into the text and read. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. And a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. Now, for any of you who have read Luke or if you've been paying attention in Luke so far, several things should stick out to us. First, we see that Zacchaeus is a tax collector and not just any tax collector, but he's the chief tax collector Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of chief tax collectors, I don't get a warm, fuzzy feeling in my heart. Uh, Who's the last person I want to have a conversation with? The IRS. I would rather go to the dentist than to talk to the IRS. I don't know about you, but that's kind of the way I am. I just, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And, And tax collectors during Jesus's day were viewed in the same light that I tend to view them as well. In fact, we read in the Mishnah, which is a Jewish collection of, uh, of Jewish belief that tax collectors were lumped into the same category as murderers and thieves. They didn't think highly of tax collectors. Uh, not the company that I would want to keep. But a big part of the reason, hear this, a big part of the reason why they were viewed this way is because tax collectors were typically Jewish, but they were employed by Rome. So they were seen as traitors oftentimes. And it says that Zacchaeus, so here's the thing though. If you've been paying attention again throughout Luke, we see Jesus interacts with several tax collectors. We see them mentioned several times. He eats with them. He invites them to be his disciples. He forgives them. He invites them into the kingdom. This is part of the radical mission of Jesus. Saving the outcast and the despised. So, as we see Zacchaeus, we see a person that Jesus wants to interact with. But there's another part of this description of Zacchaeus that might give us pause. And what's that? It says that Zacchaeus is rich. Now, again, if you're paying attention to the Gospel of Luke, you will often see that the rich are not seen in a good light in Luke. So again, reading through Luke 1 through 19, anytime we come across a tax collector, the uh, the religious leaders look at him in a bad light and Jesus elevates them. But on the flip side, any anytime we see someone who is rich, the people see them in a good life in a good light and Jesus does not. So here we have Zacchaeus, who is both a tax collector and rich. What are we to do with this guy? We don't know. The rich are often seen in terrible light. In fact, right before this passage, we have this story in the gospel. Just one chapter earlier about the rich ruler, who comes to Jesus, and what does he say? He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember the story? It's a tough one, right? And what does Jesus tell him? Jesus says, obey the commandments. And the rich man says, I've done that since birth. And Jesus says, good job. And the rich man says, what else must I do? Remember how Jesus replies? He says this, there's still one thing lacking, Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. What does the text say? The rich man went away sad because ultimately, for this man, his money was his God. His treasure on earth was keeping him from treasure in heaven. He didn't have the faith to trust in Jesus and in God's provision. And in the text it says he looks at the man and he says this, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Ouch. Jesus, that wasn't very nice. In fact, when the disciples hear this, they are blown away. They say, well, the, who can be saved? What does Jesus reply? It's, it's impossible with man, but all things are possible with God. So as we get to Zacchaeus, he embodies all these contradictory characteristics. We're not sure what to think of him. He's rich and he's a tax collector. So back to the story. Zacchaeus, it says, is on a quest to see Jesus. And we find out pretty quickly that Jesus is on a quest to see Zacchaeus. But what is preventing him from seeing Jesus? Remember, it says two things. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. He has two barriers that keep him from Jesus. It says he's short and the crowds are in the way. Now you would think that being a rich man and being a tax collector, the crowds would part to let him through, but they don't. It kind of gives you a clue of what they think of him. The crowds are in the way. If you were here last week, you remember The story from last week, what was it? It was the story of the paralyzed man whose friends brought him to Jesus and they get to the house and it says the crowds were in the way and they couldn't get to Jesus. So what did his friends do? They went up on the roof and they dug through the roof and lowered him to see Jesus. They weren't gonna let anything get in the way of him seeing Jesus. They dug through the roof. They did whatever it took to get him to Jesus. Zacchaeus is the same Way. He is going to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. The crowd is a barrier, but Zacchaeus finds a way around the crowd, actually above the crowd. Here's the thing the crowd is always going to be a barrier to Jesus. The crowds in your life, you're going to have those barriers. At school, the crowds who are trying to pull you away from Jesus the crowd is always going to be a a barrier. At work, there is going to be crowds that try to keep you from Jesus. Are you going to let the crowds get in the way of Jesus? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus? But too often we make excuses, I'm too short, there's too much going uh, going on in my life right now, I'm not worth Jesus' time, I've done too much wrong, he doesn't care about my problems, We let the lies of the world take away from the truth and the promises of Jesus. Don't do that. Zacchaeus is on a mission to see Jesus and he's willing to climb a tree in order to see him. Men, when's the last time you were willing to climb a tree in order to see someone? Zacchaeus was willing to climb a tree. Are you willing to look foolish for Jesus Church, you should be doing whatever it takes to get into his presence. And Jesus is on a mission to see Zacchaeus. It says this, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. When must Jesus stay at his house? Today, today, not tomorrow. Today is the day, right now. Do not neglect and put off your relationship with Jesus for tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you should be meeting up with Jesus. Today is the day you should be building that relationship. Today is the day for prayer. Today is the day to get into the Bible and read. Today, Jesus wants to meet you. When? Today. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to encounter Him? And Zacchaeus is eager to have Jesus come and guest with him. He receives Jesus with joy. He rejoices that Jesus is going to come and eat with him. I hope you have that same joy. I do. The joy that Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. Here's the question Did you wake up this morning with joy knowing that you were going to fellowship with Jesus today? Did you? <laughs> I won't ask you to raise your hand. This joy, though, contrasts with the crowd that grumbles. It says this, all who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Now, in the past, again, if you've been paying attention in Luke, Who were the people that grumbled? It was usually the Pharisees and the religious leaders who grumbled when Jesus wanted to hang out with the tax collector. But here the whole crowd is grumbling that Jesus is going to eat with Zacchaeus. Everyone. This is the amazing grace of God. He seeks out the outcast, the lost, the broken. He seeks out you and he seeks out me. Jesus' offer of salvation is for all who would receive. And then we have an amazing discourse between Zacchaeus and Jesus. You probably know it well. It says this, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and save the lost. Now, I don't particularly like the way the New Revised Standard Version translates Zacchaeus' statement to Jesus, and specifically the verbs that Zacchaeus uses. I want us to read the ESV, and maybe you can see the difference. In the ESV, it says this: And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Can you see the difference? Let me put it up side by side so that you can hopefully see the difference. If you'll go to the next slide. I will give versus I give. I will give versus I give. The verbs in Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, by the way. The verbs in Greek are in the present tense, meaning he is already doing it. How could that be? but it's most often translated as present-future, meaning he will do it in the future. Which translation is correct? I'm not sure, but that's okay. I kind of go back and forth on it. The traditional reading, though, was the reading that Danielle gave us in the children's time, that he encountered Jesus, he changed his heart, and he decided to give later. That's the traditional reading but that's not the only way you can read it. I tend to like the other reading of the Greek verbs, which states that Zacchaeus's practice has already been to give away half his earnings, and if that he has defrauded anyone, that he has been paying back four times what he took. There are a couple of reasons I like that later translation. As I said earlier, the verbs are in the present tense, meaning I give. I repay. And second, somehow Zacchaeus knows about Jesus and his ministry. He was eager to get to him and to eat with him. To me, it implies a life that has been seeking after the kingdom. Maybe Zacchaeus was already a follower of John the Baptist. We don't know. Maybe he's, his life had already been transformed by the ministry of John because John ministered around that area where he was. And we read earlier in Luke chapter three about John's message and the message he gave to the people. And John addressed tax collectors way back in chapter three. How they're to live. What did John say? He said this, even tax collectors came to him, that's to John, to be baptized. And they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. We don't know. But it's interesting to think about Either way though, Zacchaeus has oriented his life in such a way that it is in line with the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? He has oriented his life in such a way that he is in line with the kingdom of God. Why do we not translate it the second way that he's already been doing it? Here's my belief. Because in spite of everything Jesus has already said about tax collectors, we already have a bias against certain people. We already have a bias that says those people are not worthy. Those people could never have encountered Jesus. And it's that bias that sometimes keeps us. But here's the thing about Zacchaeus. He doesn't use his wealth for his own glory and honor. Socially, he's an outcast. What does he use his wealth for? To bless the poor. And he makes sure he doesn't defraud anyone. And if he does, he brings justice by paying back fourfold. He is living for the kingdom. He is living in such a way that brings honor to the kingdom and to the king and not to himself. And what does Jesus reply when he hears these words from Zacchaeus? He says to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and save the lost. Jesus states for all to hear. This one is a son of Abraham. This one is in the kingdom. He has been saved. He restores his status as Zacchaeus has oriented his life for the kingdom. His salvation is marked by Jesus who restores him to community. And I love the play on words that is used toward the beginning and the end of the interaction of Jesus and Zacchaeus. It says this in verse five, for I must stay at your house today. And today salvation has come to this house. So you see the today in both and the house in both. This marking him for the kingdom. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. But he stops to interact with Zacchaeus. Because his journey to the cross is about finding those who seek the kingdom. His stop in Jericho isn't a distraction. It's not a detour. It is the reason he is going to Jerusalem. He has come to seek and save the lost. So as we wrap up this story of Zacchaeus, what does it mean for us? Good question. Glad you ask. Most of us in the room would be considered rich according to the world's standards. How do we approach the kingdom with our wealth? For the rich young ruler in chapter 18, He went away sad when he encountered Jesus as opposed to Zacchaeus who with joy gave away half his possessions and received the kingdom of God. Hear this, it's not about a specific amount. The rich ruler was told to give away all. Zacchaeus gave away half. Rather, the difference is that for the rich ruler, his money was his God. Now, he wouldn't say it. But when push came to shove and he was face to face with Jesus, he walked away when Jesus asked him to have faith and trust in him and give it all away. He trusted his money more than he trusted God. I don't care that everyone thought the best of this rich man. Everyone wanted him on their board of directors. Everyone wanted him on their team. He was a man of influence, he was a man of means. He was even a generous man. As a good Jew, he tithed, absolutely he tithed. But money was his God. So it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom, why? Because we tend to trust our riches, our money, our own ways than God. Contrast that to Zacchaeus, no status, People didn't make way for him, they didn't want him around and they certainly didn't want him in their homes. But he used his wealth not for his own glory but to bless the poor. He was wealthy but money wasn't his God. Whose kingdom are you really a part of? Do you really trust Jesus? Do you really seek to build the kingdom of God? Or are you building your own kingdom? Let us pray. Lord, as we walk with you, give us faith and trust to go where you go, to do what you do, to be your disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.